Amen. Well, again, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. And uh, just want to reiterate, we do uh, just want to make sure that you know you're loved and that you're welcome. I was like kind of thinking this morning might have felt a little chaotic as you walked in because of the flood uh, that's being dealt with downstairs. Um, it's not always like that, but <laughs> we just want to reiterate that uh, you are welcome. And it, it really is beautiful to be able to gather and just worship the Lord together. Um, I don't know how many of you, like me, when, you, when you're dealing with just the challenges and difficulties of life, um, being with a group of people and worshiping Jesus together, it's like a gift. It's, it's a really special gift to be able to do that. We can do it all the time. We can do it throughout the week, but there's something really special when we gather together um, as the body and just and worship. Uh, a couple things I forgot. So uh, I mentioned last week, Sarah got up, Sarah Bencic, she's at, you're probably going to be able to at the back. Um, there is a meeting after the service today for anybody interested in helping with children's ministry. Um, we're getting close to getting that started. Um, so that's right after the service. You can look for Sarah. It'll probably be downstairs. The coffee's on, by the way. Um, don't get up and run out now. <laughs> the coffee's on. So I'm hoping that um, some people will hang out afterwards. We're, we're trying to get back into that rhythm. We did that a lot pre-COVID, and it was really great to be able to connect and just chat with people. Um, so feel free to hang out downstairs even if you're not staying around to help with children's ministry. Um, but if you are doing that, just look for Sarah. Um, and I forgot to mention earlier, we do, um, we do receive an offering, and most of that happens online. And so I don't know if there's a slide for that, Brian, but there's a couple options to give online, either through our Tithely app or through e-transfers. Um, and there are baskets at the back as well, so you can, you can give that way. So uh, we're in a series, and Alyssa referred to it a bit in, when she was talking and then in her prayer, just about diversity. And I've been really excited about this series, about being a diverse church. And it's based on Jesus' prayer in John 17. And his prayer is that we would experience the same unity that God experiences within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so uh, the four different categories of diversity we're looking at, and this, uh, this should be up there as well. Last week, we talked about generational diversity, and so what does it look like for young and old to interact with each other um, in a way that is united, in the same kind of unity God experiences with himself? Like, young and old was last week. Um, today, we're talking about ethnic diversity, uh, and next week, uh, we're going to talk about socioeconomic diversity, so rich and poor. And then ideological diversity. How, how do you have a, a unity amid people that think differently or have different convictions on, on different things? Uh, it's really not something that we can do in our own strength. Okay, so this, this series about being a diverse church, um, it's based on this prayer that Jesus prayed. But it's also the reason that it's so important is because the world is diverse. To make it a little bit closer to home... Thunder Bay is diverse, okay? There's all kinds of different types of people that exist in our city, and God loves every single one. And it's important that as a church, uh, we represent that diversity, and that will make challenges, but, uh, but God has given us His Holy Spirit to see that happen. So today we're talking about ethnic diversity, and uh, I'm just going to open with a story. So in one of my classes, so I'm, I'm doing a, a master's class um, studying theology, and one of my classes uh, was specifically to do with culture, so different cultures. 
And the professor told this really funny story about a group of missionaries from the States that went over to Papua New Guinea. Uh, and I just want to open with this because it just kind of like paints a picture of the challenges of diversity. So there was a group of uh, American missionaries, I think they were mostly women, from the States that went over to Papua New Guinea. And they were in, you know, uh, places where a lot of people hadn't been, right? So uh, not a lot of uh, development like we're used to, that kind of thing. And so this group of, of ladies were there. And, and one of the things that was unique about um, the people in Papua New Guinea is that most of them would not wear clothes. It's warmer over there, um, including the women. And so the top uh, half was usually not clothed. And so the American missionaries were, like, really uncomfortable with this, and they weren't sure how to address it. They didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and so what's so funny, so what they did was after they left, um, this group of missionaries got together, and they sent a whole bunch of dresses over to these ladies in Papua New Guinea. And, and the ladies in Papua New Guinea, they were so grateful for these dresses from the American friends that they had just made and that they were starting to build a church with together. Um, but they weren't used to wearing clothes in the top half of their body, and so their, their breasts were chafing. And so by the time the American missionaries visited again the next year, the, the ladies were all wearing the dresses, but they had holes cut out <laughs> um, for their breasts because they just weren't comfortable with the chafing, right? And so uh, anyways, he's telling us this story, and I was like, man, that's a really good example of the challenge sometimes of different cultures coming together, right? Because when two cultures meet, a lot of times we mix the gospel with our cultural convictions, right? And so we're like, we, we preach about Jesus and how important it is to worship him, but then we bring cultural convictions into it. And that story illustrates it really well. And I never forgot it. When he told the story, I thought, man, that is so funny. I wonder what, he didn't tell us the follow-up, what the missionary ladies did the next year. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So uh, sadly, though, when we talk about diversity, ethnic diversity, there are some pretty serious challenges that we face. That's, that's a, a story. It's kind of funny. Um, and it's about two cultures that don't interact with each other very often, that, that had to interact for a period of time. But what does it look like in a place like Thunder Bay for us to experience ethnic diversity on a regular, ongoing basis? Like, what would it look like for our church uh, when we gather for ethnic diversity to be something that doesn't divide, but it's actually something that we celebrate, and it's something that's visible. What, what does that look like? There, there will be challenges that we face. And, and today, uh, we're going to look at a couple different passages of Scripture. Um, we're going to read from Acts chapter 15, but we're also going to look in Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to learn about Peter. And so you may be familiar with this story, uh, but whenever I think of Peter, I think, man, what a sad way to have a legacy lived out. So Peter, if you're familiar with him at all from the scriptures, he was one of Jesus' disciples, kind of put his foot in his mouth a lot with things that he said. Well, one of the things that he did was he actually got caught up in what many today might call racism. So we're going to look at a passage in, in Galatians chapter 2 where Peter, there was uh, most of the people that were Jesus followers in the early church, they were Jewish. And there was a big fight going on in the church because the, the people that were Jewish were saying to the people that were not Jewish, if you want to actually follow Jesus, you have to basically adopt Jewish culture. So all of the Jewish laws that we've observed for years, all of the ways of doing things, like you have to adopt that. 
The difference with Je- the, in, the, in the New Testament church was like guys like Peter and Paul, they were going out there preaching the gospel, and, and Gentile people, like different people from different ethnic cultures were, were coming to Jesus, and churches were being established and born, and incredible things were happening. But we're going to look at a story today where Peter, he's with one of these new church plants. He's in a place where the gospel was preached, things are happening, the church is being established, God's doing some incredible things, but when his Jewish friends come along, He's embarrassed to be with the Gentile people because their customs are so different. Peter was mixing his culture with his faith in Jesus, and it actually was causing problems in the church. And Paul, in Galatians, rebukes Peter for it. And for 2,000 years of church history, that's one of the things we remember Peter by, right? We've all made mistakes, but I always think, man, Peter, Peter was one of these guys, like he, he made some errors and some mistakes, and we actually read about it. 2,000 years later, that's one of the things that, that we remember. And thankfully, it's in there uh, because it's, it, I, I believe there's a lot we can learn today about ethnic diversity. And I want to say, too, um, I'm using the word ethnic, and I'm going to give a definition later. So w- there's a difference between race and ethnicity. Okay, and I'm going to do just a brief explanation later. Um, but race, race is something that, uh, it's a word that gets used to basically describe differences that are observed or that you can see. And it's actually been used poorly and improperly. Um, A lot of the things that we see with our eyes as far as what looks different about a different group of people is just surface level, and it's not that different at all. And there's biology that supports it. Ethnicity has to do with um, a group's shared experiences. So um, shared experiences with you know, things like colonialism or with their history or with religion beliefs. Like, so ethnicity, the reason I'm using ethnicity is because it's um, groups of people tend to have a shared history with each other. Um, race has been used in a very negative way. I'm not saying it's a bad word, but it has been used um, to support racism and colonialism and those kinds of things. And I'll, I'll touch on that briefly later. But I do feel like, I just want to say this, um, this sermon talking about ethnic diversity when I was getting ready to preach this, I, I felt overwhelmed because there is so much uh, to get into with this. The scripture has a lot to say about it, and it's impacting our church, our culture, our city, our society in massive ways. And so there's no way to actually cover it all in one sermon. And so the feeling I had from this was that it just kind of, it whets the appetite a little bit. And I hope the Lord speaks to you today, I hope he challenges us um, with a picture of what it looks like to actually be his church, to be diverse, to be ethnically diverse. Um, but there's a lot more that could be said on this. And so just want to say that. And so if the Lord challenges you with anything, I would encourage you to maybe do some deeper digging and deeper study and, and, and time with the Lord in prayer, and he'll reveal some things. Uh, and so I want to point out, um, so we're talking about the way, you know, people look and how that separates us, okay? And as I was getting ready for, to, to preach this, I was just thinking about how, uh, you know, the, the, the way races get separated in this world, we can probably all agree, is there's been some damaging effects of that. You know, and living in Thunder Bay, we hear a lot about racism. We hear a lot about what happened in residential schools, the awful things that happened there, the, the church's partnership with that and, and all those things. And as I was saying earlier, ra- race is something that, um, humans have come up with, and we categorize people based on kind of things that look, uh, how people look different. 
And I was thinking about the scriptures, and I don't have time to get into it, but I just, again, this is a wet your appetite type sermon. But if you do some study, if you go to Revelation, and this isn't up on the screen, so if you're writing it down, you can write it down. But in Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, and then in Ezekiel chapter 1, there's some descriptions here of heavenly beings that are terrifying, okay? And so just before we, we, we go any further into like reading the scripture I want to read today, I just want to point out like when this Bible describes heavenly beings, th- they are terrifying. In Revelation chapter 4, there's a description uh, of a sevenfold spirit of God. And so I just want you to imagine, so you... you you're standing in the presence of God, okay? You've, you've died or Jesus returns and you're standing in the full presence of God. You're in heaven and all of a sudden you start to see the heavenly beings or creatures that God has created that can talk, that can think, that can relate, that can do all kinds of strange things. How awkward would you feel? Okay, so in Revelation 4 verses 5 through 8, it talks about these four beings that surround God's throne. Each being is covered with eyes all over the front and back. Okay, so our son Henry, I like to scare him sometimes. I put on a mask, and if I come in the room with a mask on, he just, he just freaks right out. Um, I made a little, like, TikTok video one time of, of this Santa Claus mask with, with Randall, and so Randall was two at the time, and he was just playing, and I crawled up behind him, and he turned around, and I had this terrifying Santa mask, and he just was, Wah! right? And all, you, some of you are judging me right now. You're like, you're a horrible dad. Um, it was scary, right? And it was just something that looked a bit different, and I'm like, whenever you read the, the scriptural descriptions of these heavenly beings, they're terrifying. There's these beings that are covered with eyes all over. Can you imagine if you saw a being that had six wings and its arms were spread out? It could talk, it could think, and it could reason, and there's literally eyes covered all over it. The person that looks the most different from you on earth all of a sudden wouldn't look so different anymore, <laughs> Okay. When we get to heaven, there's going to be creatures, there's going to be heavenly creatures that we're going to go, what is going on? There's a reason why whenever an angel shows up in the Bible and talks to a human being, they have to say, fear not, because usually the human is just trembling and they're terrified and they're afraid, right? In Ezekiel, there's another description, and these beings sound a bit similar, uh, but there's a being that has four faces with four wings, hooves instead of feet human hands under its wings. It moves straight forward in any direction without turning. And then it has a human face on the front, a lion on the side, an ox on the other side, and an eagle at the back. Can you imagine if you met that creature? Right? Like, I think sometimes, like, what does God think about the way that we've categorized race here on planet Earth? We're like, okay, well, there's, there's black and there's white and there's all the in-between colors and we categorize race. And the problem and the reason racism happens is because whoever has the most power usually exploits the other group. And, and the way that race gets categorized on earth is, is very surface level. It's based on some of the things that we can see. Did you know that when, when biologists, this is really interesting, do study on, on the different races, that at the DNA level, okay, so you're still tracking with me? At the DNA level, the, the differences between people of the same race are often greater than differences between people of different races. Is that interesting? So humans have, have come up with this, this racial way of separating people based on, you know, appearance and how people look and those kinds of things. But at the, at the DNA level, like deep within our system, 
the differences are, are greater with people of the same race than people of different races. So I think about what, what does God, what must he think when he looks at us and we, you know, he sees the different ways that, that race separates us and that we categorize different groups of people. And then he looks around at heaven and, and the diversity in heaven, just based on appearance, is going to be, I think, terrifying. These descriptions, if you go, go ahead and read in Revelation and Ezekiel the terrifying descriptions of these beings that surround the throne of God. So, so do you, like, it's kind of a popular thing. If you're a Jesus follower, you're probably one of those people that's like, I just want to be close to Jesus. Well, if you go to the Bible and you realize who stands close to Jesus, the throne of God, it's these massive beings that have wings all over their body and eyes everywhere all over the wings, like... Being close to Jesus might actually be scary because you're going to encounter some creatures that are really different than you, right? And that's what, that's heaven. And so um, God embraces, God loves diversity. For some reason, it's caused division amongst, amongst us. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. It'll be up on the on the screen. And I just want you to, to understand, so the context of what's happening in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus has, has lived, has died, and rose again, okay? And he's gone to be with the Father, and, and he gave this famous speech to his disciples before he goes to be with the Father, and he says, go into all nations and make disciples. T- teach them to obey what I've commanded you. Teach them to trust me. So he, he, he leaves. He goes to be with the Father, Okay? But the thing is, is that most of the people in that group, they were Jewish, uh, uh, they were of Jewish descent, okay? That, that, that was the group of people. And so as they were going out and proclaiming the message, a lot of Jewish people were accepting Jesus and churches were being planted. Looks similar to what Transformation Church looked like, just a gathering of people that want to worship Jesus, okay? I mean, there's differences. They probably didn't have a sound system or uh, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have snow like we do, right? There's, dif- there's differences, um, but it was similar. So these churches are being established. But what, what started happening was Gentile um, peoples were accepting the message of Jesus. So even, even in the early church, there's, there's stories of some of Jesus' earliest followers that went over to India and started preaching the gospel. If you, if you study church history, Thomas um, went over to India and started preaching the gospel. There was, there was some pretty cool things happening in Africa early on. These people were not Jewish they looked very different than Jewish people. And so this division started to happen where uh, some of the more prominent teachers were saying things like, if these churches actually want to be considered a part of the church, they have to become Jewish, which meant getting circumcised if you were a man. Not a very welcoming idea, right? Like, you imagine you, you accept the gospel, you become a follower of Jesus, and all of a sudden this really powerful teacher comes through and says, well, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to follow all of the 613 laws that are... Um, recorded in, in Leviticus. These, these things are all really important. And so there was this fight happening in the church where uh, people were arguing over whether or not a person had to become culturally Jewish in order to be accepted by God. And this is what we're going to read today. So this is Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas, they're arguing their case. They're saying, we've got to take it easy on these Gentiles. Um, things have changed. What Jesus did on the cross, cross has changed things. So Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, Unless you're circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, 
accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and they insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses, which was like, basically, they would have to adopt the whole um, Jewish culture to be able to do that. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and he addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles and those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So to you and I, uh, that might not sound too crazy, too extreme, but the decision that this council made was an extreme decision. And what, what Paul and Barnabas were saying was they, they came to the council, the very powerful group of, of people that were Jesus followers, they were the leaders of the church, and they said, God is doing amazing things amongst Gentile people, people that were never, they were never Jewish, they never believed in God, but all of a sudden, like, God is giving his Holy Spirit to them. Things are happening. And the church was struggling because this, these people that were becoming followers of Jesus looked very different. They were ethnically diverse. They came from all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds, from different countries where they had different traditions and different values and different beliefs and different ways of doing life. And the, and the early church was struggling with it. But Paul and Barnabas were saying like, but God is showing himself amongst these people. So our, our ethnic uh, backgrounds shouldn't get in the way of our unity because we're unified because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Like, that's the basis of what Paul is saying. He's saying, we're not unified um, based on our ethnic backgrounds or based on, you know, the, the different ways we classify people. We're unified by our faith in Jesus Christ. But the church looked really different. They were struggling. And some of the old, uh, the, the, the Jewish people who were having a hard time with this change were struggling because before Jesus, if you wanted to be a follower of God, you had to become Jewish. And there's lots of stories. I'm going to read a, a passage. It's a famous passage that gets read a lot at weddings. Uh, but this kind of gives you an idea of Jewish thinking 
in regards to what it would mean to become a follower of God. So in, in Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, it's the story of Naomi and Ruth, and it's a famous story in the Bible where Ruth, she's, she's from a place called Moabite, which is like an enemy nation of Israel. And, and Israel basically hated people that were from Moab. Their culture was different. They looked different. They did different things. They hated them. But there's a story of Ruth becoming Jewish and accepting the ways of God. And, and listen to what she says. She says, wherever you go, she's saying this to, to Naomi, her mother-in-law. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And so a lot of Jews had this idea that you had to become Jewish just like Ruth did. But you know what was happening? Something different was going on now that, now that Jesus has accomplished what he did. Like, people like Ruth weren't leaving their homeland to go and become Jesus followers. Churches were being planted in places like Moab. So they weren't leaving their, their, their culture, their way of life, and, and having to come and be a part of Israel. Jesus was doing amazing things amongst groups of people that were all over the world. And what some people were struggling with back then was they're like, but, they're, but their culture is different than ours. Their language is different than ours. Their, their values, the way they do life is just different than ours. And they were having a hard time finding unity because they were so different. And what Paul and Barnabas were saying was, but we're not unified based on our cultural background. We're unified because of our faith in Jesus. And here, here's the, the question I want to ask us, is do we see examples of this today? Like, do we see examples of times where we experience division because of different ethnic backgrounds? Like, have we experienced racism in our lives? You don't have to answer this out loud, but have we seen examples of racism in Thunder Bay? You know, right now in Thunder Bay, and I'm not going to comment on this too much, but there's, there's been a study that's been going on for years into whether or not the police force in Thunder Bay um, is systemically racist. And you may have differing opinions or views on all of that, but it's a very real issue. So people that are a part of a minority ethnic group have experienced racism, not just down in the States where we see it in the news a lot, but like in our own city. And, and, and there's lots of research coming up uh, Currently, you can read tons of books on it. I've, I've been reading and studying and listening to stories of like examples, horrible examples of racism in our city, in our country. And I'm not going to comment on the government approach. I'm not going to comment on, on what should be done with the police force. But I will say, and I can speak with authority on this, God does not want any shred or any shadow of racism in his church. He hates it. If you read the scriptures and take them seriously, the, the, the scriptures actually teach that the, the followers of Jesus are supposed to lead the way in what it looks like to be ethnically diverse but united. We're supposed to experience the same kind of unity with, with each other as God experiences within himself. So when we look at what's going on around us, you know, there's tons of examples of, of racism. There's, there's t like every day in the news, you see another story, another thing breaking, and people fight over it. They argue over it. They have opinions over whether or not it's happening in our city, whether or not it's real, whether, what, all those different kinds of things. Um, what I'll say is, as the church, 
what God has to say is that we are supposed to experience an incredible unity that uh, reveals to the world around us the love of God as we love each other. That the diversity we experience is, is to be a light. That, so that racism, systemic racism, those things, do, they, they cannot exist in the church. They have. There's tons of examples of times where they have, and I think that needs to be faced head on and addressed. But as we move forward, we have to look at what, is, what does God have to say to us about that? I want to read uh, Galatians 2, and this will be up on the screen. And, and just in light of all that we're talking about, Paul, okay, today we know Paul has written a big portion of the New Testament. He's probably the most famous Christian writer from the early church. But when this happened, this story that we're about to read happened, Paul was the little guy and Peter was the big guy, okay? So Peter's the guy that's super well-known. He's a part of the group of people that would have had the power. So in the church, in the early church, if you were, if you were a Jewish man, you had a lot of power, you had a lot of influence. Peter was a part of that group. God had spoken to Peter and said, Peter, like, I'm opening the door for the Gentiles to come and be followers of Jesus. They're going to interact with you. They're not just going to be people that, you know, kind of be a part of it in some small way. Some of, are going to be, some of them are going to be on leadership with you. They're going to be a part of the, the church in a very significant way. So Peter had this in his mind, but he wasn't following it through. So Paul is this new guy in the church that didn't have a lot of street cred yet, okay? He actually had a bad reputation, and he calls Peter out for something that I believe is as pertinent today as it was 2,000 years ago. So Galatians chapter 2, this is a story of, of him confronting Peter. Paul is, is, is saying these, these things. He says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I just, I know I've said this before, but I love the vulnerability in Scripture. Like, sometimes we try to sweep mistakes under the rug, especially if it's a really powerful leader. Well, you've got Peter, arguably one of the most powerful leaders in the Christian church at the time, and his mistakes are on display for all of us to see for 2,000 years. Like, the vulnerability of that, I think, is so healthy because Paul was saying, this affects the gospel. And so the reason this is being written about is because it's an example for us of how we can stay true to who Jesus is and what his call for the church is to be. I just, I love the vulnerability of it. And it's not a shame on Peter. When we get to heaven, we're going to see Peter and we're going to say, thank you for your contribution to the gospel. Thank you for what you did. But also, his, the, the fact that this is actually publicly being written about and it's we read about it for 2,000 years is an incredible thing because accountability is so key and so important. So, so Paul, the little guy, calls out the big guy, Peter, and says he was dead wrong. And so was Barnabas, by the way. And this letter is going to be around for the next 2,000 years. <laughs> Verse 14, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are, not, and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? So what did he just say? So Peter says to, to uh, or Paul says to Peter, he's like, okay, before all these like friends of yours got here, you were hanging out with the Gentiles. You know, you were, you were eating with the Gentiles, ate, you were doing some of the same things. And now all your friends, your Jewish friends who are powerful and they're a lot like you, they have a shared history and a shared culture. Now that they're here, you're pretending you didn't do that earlier. You're and he says it in front of everybody. 
Can you imagine how awkward that would have been? Like, it would have been? You would have been like one of those people in the room that like, oh man, probably pulled out your phone, like recorded it, right? Like he was really calling him out. He was making this a very serious thing because he was saying this impacts the gospel and, and, and what's happening here, what we're reading sets a precedent for what the church is, is called to be by God. He says, you and I, he's saying this to, to Peter, he says, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would this mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. I think I stopped. Yeah. Make sure that I still have that. Uh, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law, and I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. And so the law was a big part of uh, the, the Jewish culture. And, and what Paul is arguing for here is as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. He was saying, you can't bring your, your culture into the gospel. Paul very simply articulates the gospel. He says, we're saved because of what Jesus Christ has done. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're from Africa or India or North America. He didn't say that then because they didn't know about North America yet. But... He was saying, like, it doesn't matter where you're from. The, the, the ethnicity, your background doesn't matter. What matters is, has Jesus Christ come into your life and tra- changed and transformed you? That's what we're united by. And this is as important of a message today as it was 2,000 years ago because we are still tempted to be divided over ethnicity and some of the, the, the racism that we see in culture around us has existed in the church. I just want to give, um, I'm just going to give a couple things. As I said, this, this sermon really just is a wet your appetite, and uh, I felt like there's no way I can get everything out that, that is important. Um, so I'm going to skip over a few things, um, but I would encourage you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart about what it looks like to be united, even though we're ethnically different, um, lean into that and, and spend some time in prayer, and I can give you suggestions even on, on things to read. Um, but I, I want to say that uh, the church, in a lot of ways, if you study church history in the last couple thousand years, in the way that we've done discipleship, we've, we've practiced something called assimilation more than discipleship in following Jesus. And what that means is basically bringing our culture, bringing you know, our history into how we teach others about Jesus. I just want to give a couple examples of some things that have happened that are, that are sad. Um, so prior to uh, North America being discovered, and I use that loosely, I was in a, uh, a funeral in Nikina. I was leading a funeral there, I think it was last fall, and um, I wrote this down. There was, a, there was a young lady, she had a shirt on, and, and I don't think I put this on the screen, um, but she said, in, in 1492... Uh, Native Americans 
discovered Christopher Columbus lost at sea. <laughs> in 1492, Native Americans discovered Christopher Columbus lost at sea. Okay? Uh, and there's a, there's a quote up here, too. And if you can put it up, uh, Brian, there's a quote about history on here. I'm going to put this... Uh, not that one. Oh, maybe I have the wrong... Oh, yeah, I just didn't change the Socrates one. So when studying history, I want you to catch this. Forget about the Socrates. I, I forgot to delete that. My apologies. Um, so there's a difference, a big difference between history and the past. The past is what actually happened. History is an interpretation of what happened. You catch that? There's a big difference between history and the past. So depending on the group, the ethnic group you're a part of, you'll learn things about history through a certain lens. And just remember, there's always a lens. So the difference between history and the past is history is a person's version of what took place, whereas the past is what actually took place. And so uh, I wanted to share that quote about Christopher Columbus um, from a, a First Nations perspective because it's really important. Sometimes the way we learn history, we talk about North America being discovered um, by Christopher Columbus, by the Europeans, but it had already been discovered. Like even that language is, is, is dangerous language because it separates us um, according to, to race and ethnicity and, it's, and it can be dangerous. In 1452, so if you're familiar with your history, this is right around the same time that Christopher Columbus sailed over to North America, the Pope signed a document which justified the African slave trade. And in this document, which was a church document, lang the language um, said that people from Africa were pagan and they didn't have purity of blood. So it justified the, the church uh, and um, Spanish explorers using um, people from Africa as slaves. And the church was, was a part of that. It's, it's a horrible part of our, our history. And, and again, I don't have time to get into all of it, but I'll, I'll also say this. There was a lot of teaching within the church in those early days that led to justifying the treatment of First Nations people as less than. Like, if, if you study our history, it's painful, and it's, it's horrible, and it's terrible, and it's grievous, and it grieves the heart of God. And, and what I want to point out is, is from the very beginning of the gospel being established, God was saying, no, you're not separated based on, you know, exterior differences or even based on shared um, experiences that groups have with each other. Those things don't separate you. You're united by your faith in Jesus. And the church, we have to be careful of not lumping our culture into the way that we teach the gospel. And I, that's not to say that culture isn't a part of it. We all come from a different culture. We all have different values and beliefs based on the way that we were raised. Those things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. But we have to recognize, like the early church was doing, that there's a difference between that and the gospel. Uh, Paul simplified the gospel. He said, for people to be a part of the church, they receive Jesus. Like when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're a part of his church doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what your history is, doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, you're part of his church. And anyone that tells you different is misunderstanding the gospel. What we're called to do is to make a big deal about worshiping Jesus. And so I'm going to close with these three principles from what we read in, in Acts chapter 15. And I just called them three building blocks for unity amid diversity. 
And so the first one is, and I think, the, the yeah, there's three of them up there. My slides are a little off this morning because I get in and I usually work on my slides, but there was a flood. <laughs> and so I uh, was working on that and I, I didn't get to, to work on them like I usually do. Um, so these three building blocks for unity amid diversity, I just want to give them um, quickly. God confirms his acceptance of us by sending his Holy Spirit. And so if you, and I, I think I put the scripture up there. Did I, Brian? I think that there's a verse 8. Yeah. Um, so what we read from Acts chapter 15, God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So the first building block of unity amid diversity is that what um, Paul was trying to tell the early church, he says, God confirms his acceptance of us by giving us his Holy Spirit. And so when you surrender your life to Jesus, he changes you. One of my favorite missionary stories is, is the story of Bruce Olson. Um, and Jeremy actually met Bruce Olson. He's a, he's a, minister, uh, a missionary that was in the, uh, the jungles of Venezuela to a tribe of people that were very unreached. Um, anyway, the story is incredible. And, he, and the way that he tells the story, it's just never left my, my mind and my imagination. Because when this tribe of people became followers of Jesus, Bruce Olson tells, he's like, their music style, the way they dressed, like it was so different from anything he'd ever experienced. And other missionaries that would come were a little bit put off by it. Because they were like, well, the music almost sounds like, like devil worship. But what Bruce was saying was like, these people, like God has changed them. And so like the, the way they sing and their style of music is different than what some people are used to. But they're worshiping Jesus. He's done a work in their heart. We don't need to change anything about the style or, or those aspects of culture. Because God has confirmed who he is by what he's done amongst his people. It's, and and, and like, it's just, it's something that stuck with me because I thought, how often have we, we done that where we bring our culture into the way we, we preach the gospel? But when God does a, a work amongst a group of people, he changes their hearts, and a lot of times the culture looks very different. My desire as I read scripture and as I read about Jesus' prayer in John 17 is what would it look like to experience unity amid ethnic diversity um, within the same gathering of people? The second building block is that we are accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. It's undeserved, unearned grace. We are accepted by God because of what Jesus has accomplished. Undeserved, unearned grace. There's nothing you and I can do to, to earn or, or enter into a relationship with God based on our works. It's, un, it's undeserved. And in, in verse 11, I won't read it, but it's up there. Um, that's where Paul talks about that. And then the third one, he says, and it's the end of the chapter of what we read in, in Acts chapter 15, he says, all unnecessary stumbling blocks must be removed, right? So uh, if there's challenges amongst different people from different ethnic groups that are cultural, Paul in the scriptures was arguing those, are, those need to be removed. You know, we are going to be different. We are going to have different um, values or different, our, our different upbringings will, will lead to different ways of doing things, but that can't get in the way of our unity. That can't get in the way of the way that we worship Jesus. And, and my desire, and even as we, we work through this and as we think about Jesus' prayer in John 17, is that we would experience that with each other. In, in this room, there is a, there's representation of different ethnicities, of different backgrounds, of different convictions based on where we grew up, based on some of the things that we experienced. And it could lead to disunity. It could lead to arguments. Or 
we could make a big deal, like the early church did, about Jesus. <laughs> and that's what I would encourage for us to do. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, I'm going to pray uh, in line with what Jesus prayed in John 17. It's my desire. When I, when I see the things that are going on around us, you know, and I mentioned some of them today, um, but when I see some of the um, stories of racism that hit the news that have to do with Thunder Bay, what grieves my heart is I, like, a lot of times I feel like, man, Lord, what, what do we do to make a difference in our, in our city? Like, how do we address that? How do we work towards restoring and, and fixing? And maybe some of you have positions where you can do that. But as I was getting ready for this sermon and thinking about what Jesus prayed and what Paul taught us, um, I have this deepening conviction that God wants us to really model what it looks like to be ethnically diverse but unified in our pursuit of Jesus and to embrace the, the challenges. And as I said, this, is, this sermon was more of a whet your appetite and there's so many you know, more things we could get into and discussions to be had. But what's important is that the scriptures make it clear. The desire that God has for us is that we would be unified and that we wouldn't be divided over some of the differences that we've let divide us in the past, but that we would be united and experience the same unity that Jesus experiences with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And that is not something we can do in our own strength. It's only something God can do by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so let me just pray. I'm going to pray in line with what Jesus prayed in John 17. Uh, and then we're going to close with, with some worship. And just as the Lord, um, if he's challenging you or speaking to you about something, um, don't uh, leave here without dealing with that. Like this is a, a time in these closing songs where you can spend some time in prayer um, and let the Lord challenge you and speak to you and maybe change some things in your heart in relation to, to what we're, we're talking about. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just want to thank you for your word. Um, and Lord, as I said, as we we're working through this, uh, I feel very much like this is kind of a, a wet your appetite sermon, that this, this topic is so huge. And Lord, in our world right now, there's a lot of division. We've seen many examples in the news of racism, and, and many of us have probably experienced that kind of thing in our own lives. But Lord, your word is so clear about what you want your people to be. Lord, you've called all nations to serve you. You don't elevate one culture above another. Jesus, you are the one who's elevated. And so I just pray that even in our midst amongst our gathering of people, Lord, that we would experience um, ethnic diversity, but that we'd be united because of what you've done in us, Jesus. The scriptures tell us that when we surrender our lives, you fill us with your Holy Spirit. That's what unites us. And, and Jesus, in John 17, you prayed uh, you said that you've given us the glory that God gave you so that we would be one. And I just pray that we would experience that. Lord, even as we gather um, and um, amid all of the different challenges and difficulties that we face that we bring into a place like this as we gather together, Lord, I just pray that we would experience unity as we worship you, as we lift up your name. Help us to love each other. Help us to be an example of what it looks like to love each other. I pray, Lord, that even as we do gather, that when people come and, and join um, the, a gathering like this with us, they go, wow, like what, what is it that unites these people? Because usually we don't see this kind of unity. But, Lord, that people would walk away knowing it was you. It's Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We worship you. I pray for a blessing on each one here. And just lead us and guide us, Lord, as we seek to honor you and to love each other. In Jesus' name.